0: Our text today is found in Luke chapter 2, verses 39 through 52. 39 through 52. These are the words of the living God. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. pray together. Father, we thank you for gathering us once again to meet with you, to hear from you, to be instructed by your word. And I pray, uh, Lord, that you'd help us to do that today, that you would remove any distractions from our midst, uh, that you would help us to stay on task, to stay engaged as we continue worshiping, as we hear your word preached. Help me to get out of the way and let Jesus uh, be exalted, made much of. Let his word be clear in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever heard the saying that a wise man learns from other people's mistakes? Have you heard this? Wise man learns from other people's mistakes. I think that there is some wisdom in that. We can look at our family members and our friends and, and people out there in the world who have messed up in certain ways. And we can look at that and say, hey, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do the same thing. But oftentimes, isn't it the case that we have to learn from our own Mistakes. We have to go through that experience in order to actually have learned from it. Well, in our text today, we see Jesus Christ, who is, friends, the personification of wisdom. Here is a man who walked in obedience with his God all the days of his life, and he too learned wisdom, but he learned it through faithfulness. Faithfulness and obedience to the will of God for his life, and he did it for you, and he did it for me. So today, we are going to learn three things in our text. First, for the salvation of the world, Jesus learned wisdom through obedience, and so must we. Let me say that again. For the salvation of the world, Jesus learned wisdom through obedience, and so must we. Number two... For the salvation of the world, Jesus obeyed God above all else, and so must we. And number uh, three, finally, for the salvation of the world, Jesus walked in wisdom in his relationships with God and man, and so must we. So we see that first point, for the salvation of the world, Jesus learned wisdom through obedience, and so must we, in verses 39 and 40. So if you would, go back there and read that with me. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So, after Jesus and his uh, parents have this encounter with Simeon and Anna that we talked about last week down there at the temple, they make their way back to Nazareth, but not before a trip to Egypt. Uh, Luke is silent uh, on some of the things that happened during the the early years of Jesus Christ. He skips over them, but Matthew fills in the account for us of the three wise men that you know who come from the east to visit Jesus. For the most part, uh, the Gospels are silent with respect to what happened during the early years of Jesus, but Matthew gives us the account of the three wise men coming to bring their treasures and the murderous plot of Herod and the flight to Egypt, which, by the way, all take place in between Jesus' family leaving Bethlehem and going back to Nazareth, where we see them coming from today to go up to Jerusalem and offer uh, uh, for Passover. So uh, what Luke does for us, basically, is he summarizes that entire time of Jesus' life in one verse. In one verse for us, he, he says that he grew, he became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. These are the things Luke says happened during that time. And it may not seem like uh, much, but that verse is packed with meaning. And when it says that the, t- the child grew and became strong and increased in wisdom, what are we to make of this? Well, Jesus is a man, just like the rest of us, and so he grows and becomes strong, just like the rest of us. Uh, the Bible uses almost identical language to speak of uh, Samson and Samuel and John the Baptist growing up and becoming m- mature uh, in this sort of thing. Um, but with Jesus, uh, the Bible speaks in a different way. It says that he is made like us in every way, and we confess this this morning, except uh, he was without sin, right? Right? So Jesus is made like us in every way, except he is without sin. So Jesus has a mind. He has a soul. He has a body. He is truly human. Uh, The only thing that sets Jesus apart from us with respect to his humanity is the fact that he was born without a sin nature. Uh, Jesus does not have an earthly father like you and me. Uh, He has a heavenly father, and therefore he is free from sin. Now, if Jesus is made like us in every respect, well, then that means he needs to grow and mature just like we do, right? Jesus is born as a baby. He is not born as a full-grown man. So he has to grow and become mature mentally and physically just like the rest of us. This is part of his humiliation. It's part of his humiliation. He had to fully take on our experience in order to fully become a man. And part of being a human means that you're faced with uh, certain limitations. You have to learn, right? Just And so Jesus had to learn just like you and me. He did not know everything at once in his humanity. The text literally says he grew and was becoming filled with wisdom. He grew and was becoming filled with wisdom. In other words, this was a process, uh, this was something that Jesus grew in day by day. And how does he do it? Well, by uh, the grace of God. By the grace of God, he grows up into maturity. It says that the favor of God was upon him. The grace, that is the grace of God, was upon him. Uh, Jesus, again, does not have a sin nature, so he's not hindered like you and I are in certain ways by his sin. So he grows up and he keeps growing in wisdom and maturity in the way that God would have him to without any hindrances. Now, in becoming like us in every way, he must also be constrained by certain limitations, right? Just as you and I are constrained by certain limitations, or else he would not be truly human. The man Jesus Christ in his humanity, is not all knowing like he is in his divinity, and therefore, just you know, he had to learn uh, and become mature. He doesn't know certain things until he learns them or comes to know them, just like you and me. In his humanity, with respect to the man Jesus Christ, for example, in his earthly ministry, he says, "I do not know the day or the hour of the second coming." Well, how is it that Jesus doesn't know the day or the hour? He is God. Well, with respect to his humanity, he does not know the day or the hour. Okay, This is something that has not been revealed to the man, Jesus Christ, at this part in his ministry yet. This is part of his humiliation, friends. He willingly places restrictions upon himself during his earthly life. And why does he do it? He does it for you, and he does it for me. Again, in order for Jesus to save us, he had to become a man. He had to become a true man, a true human. And being a true human meant that he would be faced with certain limitations, one of which would be the fact that he is not all-knowing in his Humanity. But Jesus has to learn, as I've said, but Jesus, as the perfect man, gives us an example of what it means to truly learn. So Jesus has to learn like you and me, but as the perfect man, he gives us an example of what it means to truly learn. He submitted himself to the will of God the Father, and he walked with him in obedience, and as he did that, he learned what God would have him to do with his life. He came into a better understanding of who he was and what it was that he was supposed to be doing. And we are to learn wisdom, and we are to learn wisdom in the same way that Jesus learned wisdom, and that is by submitting ourselves to the will of the Father, and walking with him in obedience, and allowing him to reveal to us what it is that we need to know. Jesus was a man who knew the Word of God, and he knew the Word of God because he studied it. Uh, We see there, uh, we'll see here in just a moment, that when he goes down to the temple, the rabbis are astounded at the wisdom that Jesus has as a 12-year-old boy. Well, how did he get that wisdom? Well, by studying the Scriptures and applying them to his life, by submitting himself to it, he gained wisdom over the time. That is how he learns wisdom. So what is wisdom? It is taking the principles that we learn in the Word of God and applying them to our lives in particular situations, right? Taking the principles that we get here out of the Scripture and applying them to our lives in certain ways when we find ourselves in Um, particular circumstances. And sometimes that is not going to be easy. Sometimes that's not going to be easy. And why is that? Well, because uh, the Word of God runs into conflict with who we are as a people. Many times, uh, the things that the Word of God tells us to do are contrary to who we are and what we would normally do as a people. And so that means when we submit ourselves to it, it is going to make us uncomfortable many of the times, and it'll make other people around us uncomfortable as well. But that is okay, because God does not want you to be comfortable. He wants you to be obedient. Could you you imagine what would have happened if Jesus said, you know, that cross, it makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to submit to it. What would have happened if he would have done that? So you see, in the same way, friends, God calls us to do things in his word that make us uncomfortable. They fundamentally run into conflict with who we are as a people, but we must obey him in them anyway. I'll tell you what, many of the times, the only way that you are going to learn wisdom is by um, walking through uncomfortable situations. It's through things that are going to make you uncomfortable, through your trials and through your sufferings. As you walk with God in those things, submitting yourself to Him and His will for your life during that circumstance, you're going to learn how to walk through those things in a biblical way. You're going to learn wisdom. Okay. So many of the times uh, we will find ourselves in trying situations. Has anybody found a trying situation lately? Found themselves uncomfortable. Uh, You're to rejoice in those things, okay? Because God is at work during our trials and during our times of adversity to make us into a perfect man like Jesus Christ or a perfect woman. So rejoice in those things because God is at work to make you more like Jesus. So for the salvation of the world, Jesus learned wisdom through obedience and so must we. We see that second point for the salvation of the world. Jesus obeyed God above all else, and so must we in verses 41 through 51. Let's read that again. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, "'Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress.' And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Now, what are we to make of these verses? How did this happen? How, how did Joseph and Mary lose Jesus? Right? Did you ever wonder that? Like, what happened when they left? Like, didn't they realize that he wasn't with them? Yeah. Well, when these people traveled up to Passover, this is something you have to understand. They traveled in caravans, big, large groups of people, and oftentimes, if not all the time, the uh, the women and the young children would travel in the front, and the men and the older children would travel in the back. Uh, Jesus' mom, it says that his parents supposed him to be in the group, that is, the caravan. So it's possible Mary thought that he was in the back with Joseph, right? And Joseph thought that he was up front with Mary. And, or maybe they both were together and they thought that he was with another group of family members. But when they finally decide to stop and settle down for the night and set up camp, they begin looking among the groups of people and they realize Jesus isn't there. And that's when they start to panic. Right, So that is how the situation comes about. Now, they wait a day, and they spend the night, and then they spend another day. Uh, it spent, they, they spend a day traveling, they spend the night, and then they spend another day traveling back. So by the time they find Jesus, according to their reckoning, it is the third day. And when they find him, they're a bit unsettled about the whole thing. <clears throat> uh, they're wondering why Jesus would do this. Why would he not tell them that he was staying behind? <laughs> Uh, why why does he just kind of hang out in Jerusalem by himself? Mary says, why have you treated us so? His parents are perplexed about why Jesus would do this thing, but there is no perplexity in the mind of Jesus. You might have picked that up in your text. He thinks that this is the exact thing that he should be doing, and they should know it. (laughs) He's like, don't you know that I should be in my father's house, right? Doing the things that the father would have me to do is essentially... What he's saying there, don't you know, don't you know this? But apparently they do not. Now you can imagine the uh, emotions of Mary at this point. Uh, She's been on a bit of an emotional roller coaster. She has thought that she's possibly lost her son for the last three days, and she's a bit exasperated over the whole thing. And then Jesus uh, gives her this answer. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? (laughs) right. And the text says they did not understand him. You see, Jesus is coming to a a realization of of who he is and what he is supposed to be doing. But that realization has not really yet set uh, hit home for the parents. They know uh, who Jesus is. They've been given prior revelation about this. Uh, So they do know some things, but it is not yet settled for them. It's not become real yet. But now it's beginning to become real. Uh, Jesus is beginning to separate from his family. This is the beginnings of that for the work that God has called him to do. God has called Jesus to a very specific ministry, um, and he must take it up. He must do it. Um, But... Uh, Now, uh, what does it mean for him to be in his father's house? Let's ask this question. He says, don't you know that I must be in my father's house? What does this mean? Well, Jesus knows that he has a very special relationship with God uh, the Father, and so he is working on cultivating that relationship. He comes to do the will of God. And so he is down there at the temple discerning what that is. He's there asking questions, getting oriented, learning more about what he is supposed to be doing. To be in his father's house uh, is to be um, about his father's interest. The interest of the father are to become the interest of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is abiding under his father's roof, as it were, down there at the temple. And abiding under the father's roof means that he is abiding by his rules, right? But nevertheless, get this, Jesus does not shirk his responsibilities to his mother and father. It says that he went down with them and submitted to them. So he is submitting to both. He is submitting to his father, his heavenly father, and he is submitting to um, Mary and Joseph. You see, Jesus is obedient in all things, not just some. Jesus is obedient to God, and he is obedient to his parents, and he is going to obey his father no matter what, um, and he is going to keep that relationship first and foremost. His highest allegiance is to his heavenly father, but he does not, at the same time, neglect the duties and responsibilities that he has to his mother and father and to his fellow man, his earthly, uh, supposed hef- uh, earthly father, that is. And why does he do this? Again, he does it for me, and he does it for you, right? Jesus came to save the world. And part of his parents, his, uh, Joseph and Mary, his earthly father again, are part of the world. <coughs> and in order to save them, he had to be obedient in all things, right? He had to obey God. <clears throat> in order to save them in order to save me and you he had to have all of his relationships in order he had to obey god first and foremost and this meant that he had to have integrity in every relationship <coughs> that he was a part of he had to obey his god he had to obey the father above all else but he also had to obey his mother and father, his earthly father. But there's an order of importance, you see. That's what I'm stressing, right? He has a first and highest allegiance to God. He had a duty to God, and he also has a duty to man, but first of all, to God. So you see that he does not obey one to the exclusion of the other. You see that? He does not obey one to the exclusion of the other, but there is an order of importance. And friends, we must learn this truth. We must learn this truth. There are certain relationships in our lives that must take a back seat when it comes to our relationship with God. Yes, we have certain duties and responsibilities to our mother and father. We have certain duties and responsibilities to our employers, to our civil government, to our family, and to our friends. But those relationships do not trump the relationship that we have with God. This is to say... We must obey God first and foremost in them. Hear that? In all of our relationships, we must obey God first and foremost in them. So we do not maintain one to the exclusion of the other, but rather we maintain both by keeping God first and above all in them. Let me explain. Your allegiance is to be to Christ above all else, and therefore, if any of these other authorities challenge the relationship that you have to God, you are to obey him first. You will have relationships in your life that will seek to challenge the relationship that you have with Jesus. They will seek to compete with him for the relationship that they have with you. Um, All of you have friends Uh, who are not Christians, most likely, I'm assuming, or you have old friends who aren't Christians. And those people are many of the times living in very ungodly ways. Uh, And when you get around them, they want you to participate with them in doing these ungodly things. And sometimes, friends, sometimes, for the sake of your relationship with God, you have to say, Bye bye to them. You see? Or you, you may just have friends that don't come to church on Sunday morning and they are always trying to get you to do something with them on Sunday morning, right? Because they don't care about the fact that you come here to worship the Lord and so they try to get you to skip church with them to do something else. And they're constantly trying to do this. And the more and more you deny their invitation, Uh, the further and further sometimes you drift apart. This may mean that sometimes you're going to lose some friends over the thing. But that is okay. It is okay because the only way, friends, listen, the only way you will ever win these people over is by continuing to be obedient to God. Right? Think about this. What if Jesus said, I'm going to just forget about my relationship with the Father, God the Father, and obey my parents instead? Would he have ever been able to save anybody? Would he have been able to save me? Would he have been able to save you? No. He had to keep his relationship with God first and foremost. And it is the same in our relationships with other people. There is no way you are going to win them over to Jesus by disobeying God. You get that? There's no way. It's not going to happen. You have to be faithful to God. You have to be obedient to him first and foremost, and then these other people will come along. You see? You have to continue to honor him first and foremost. So, we have seen that for the salvation of the world, Jesus obeyed God above all else, and so must we. We see that final point for the salvation of the world. Jesus walked in wisdom in his relationships With God and man, and so must we in verse 52. Let's read that. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So here we see the close of Luke's section on the early years of Jesus' life, and he sort of begins in the same way, or he ends in the same way that he began on the same note. But here we see that Jesus continued to increase in wisdom. And this time, Luke adds with favor from God and man. Now, there's an interesting connection, I think, being made here with Samuel. I said before that the Bible uses very similar language to refer to uh, Samson and Samuel and John the Baptist growing up and maturing in these ways. But the Bible uses almost identical language to speak of uh, Samuel growing up uh, in the presence of of the Lord and gaining favor with God. And man, I'm going to show you that here uh, in just a second. Actually, you can pull that slide up. It's the next one. Uh, Of Samuel, it is said after he is born first that he grew in the presence of the Lord, which is very similar to Jesus growing in wisdom and strength and receiving favor from God. You see here, the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord, and the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Jesus is walking in the presence of God. God is, again, giving grace to Jesus, and he's growing in maturity. Very similar. But the next slide is the one that is almost identical. Uh, This is Samuel. Now, the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Sound familiar? I mean, they're almost identical, but there's one glaring difference Do you see the thing that the Bible points out about Jesus that it doesn't mention about Samuel? That Jesus grew in wisdom. The Bible says um, Jesus grows in wisdom. Um, Jesus continues to increase in wisdom. He continued to advance, he continued to make progress in wisdom. And why is this so important? To Luke, Well, again, uh, in order for us to uh, walk uh, in wisdom, uh, to gain favor with God and man, we have to walk in wisdom towards them. Uh, Samuel was a righteous judge, and he walked in wisdom and in right ways in his relationships with God and man, and in the case of Jesus, how much more? In the case of Jesus, how much more? Again, Jesus comes to save the world, and he does it by way of of faithful obedience. And so by walking with God in wisdom, he gains more and more wisdom, and that wisdom leads him to greater and greater obedience to the plan and purposes of God for his life. You see that? By walking in wisdom, he learns more obedience and he becomes more obedient to God. And Jesus had to be obedient in all things, and indeed he was. Jesus never stopped being obedient, <laughs> he was the perfect man, right? He's down there at his father's house doing what he's supposed to be doing. Um, And this is what sets Jesus apart. This is what makes him the Savior, friends. Now, friends, let me ask you something. Is it not imperative that we do the same? Is it not imperative that we do the same? Do we not need to grow in wisdom and maturity? Do we not need to grow in favor in our relationships with God and man? The more that we know God and the more that we know our fellow man, the better our relationships will be with both. Is this not true? The more we know somebody, the better our relationship is with them. It's the same with God as it is with man. The more we know God, the better our knowledge and understanding of him will be, which will result in greater love and obedience to him. Right? Because we know him better. Uh, The better we will know, what he expects of us in any given situation. And so we will know what his will for us, uh, for our lives is in that moment. And we will obey him more. We will obey him uh, all the better. It can go on. The more we know God, the more that we realize how holy he is. And indeed, the more we realize how sinful we are. (laughs) Right? And that makes us want to be more devoted to him. Our sin bothers us more. And so we're driven to obedience and devotion. And you can go right on down the line of God's characteristics and his attributes, and the truths that we know about God. And the more we know them, the more we know him, the greater obedience we will have. The more it drives us in love and in devotion to him. Okay? And it's the same in our relationships with our fellow man. The ministry that the Lord has committed to us is a ministry of people. Right? It is people to whom we minister, and people are relational beings. We we're created to be in relationship with one another, right? And so the more that we know our fellow man, the better we can serve them. And that is why it's paramount that we grow in our knowledge and understanding of our fellow man. And how do we do that? Again, by getting to know one another. (laughs) By being with one another, by being in relationship with one another on a regular basis, and by obeying God in those relationships with one another. That is how we have the greatest relationship with our God, and that is how we have the greatest relationship with our fellow man. It is by knowing them. And guess what? You are not going to find favor with every single person that you run into in this world. <laughs> it's just not going to be that way. But it's okay, because neither did Jesus. Okay? Neither did Jesus. Not everybody liked Jesus. Not everybody likes Jesus today. But if you walk in wisdom with God in obedience to him, you will know who you should find favor with in the world and who you should not. You will have wisdom to know how to walk in relationship uh, with your fellow man. Uh, And most importantly, uh, we must know and have wisdom in how to walk with our God. So, we have seen that Jesus came and as a part of his incarnation, he took on limitations. He was born as a baby, and he had to grow and become mature, just like you and me. And he grew and became mature by obeying God in the midst of his suffering. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, took on flesh, and he had to learn as a man, just like you and me. Moreover, his allegiance was to God above all else. And by keeping that relationship first and foremost, he was able to maintain proper relationships with everybody else in the world. And finally, we saw that he walked in wisdom in his relationships with God and man. He learned how to be obedient in each. And through his perfect obedience, the world was saved. Now let us follow in his way. Let us follow in his way, growing in wisdom and maturity as we obey God in the midst of our struggles, keeping him first and above all else in our lives, and learning as much as we can about God and our fellow man, so that we too might walk in obedience to him in all things, and in so doing, become the means through which God continues to bring Jesus Christ to the world. Let's pray, friends.